Stacy. I don't have time for this. Stace. Hello. Welcome back again. It's Murder's a Drag. Y'all, you know it. You're watching it or listening to it. And it's it's good. That's why you're here. Uh, it's a show about murder. It's a show about true crime. It's a show about queer people. I'm back and braless as ever. This little trick of putting my bangs underneath a snapback is how I hide that fact about myself. That's how I'm doing this week. I winked, but you can't see because my eyes are hidden by the bangs that hide the fact that I don't have eyebrows. It's great. It's like a little disguise. Then you put the mask on because COVID and nobody knows who you are. Not that anybody knows who I am on a regular, but... Hello, again, I've missed you. My beautiful eyes and ears that are on me now. (laughs) Put your ears on me. I will take fantastic care of them. Keep them safe in little ear beds. I'll make little ear blankets for them. It'll be cute. As you can tell, I'm losing my mind a little bit, and I decided to lay out in the sun. I got some chairs from Amazon. Uh, My boyfriend and I bought them. We set them up outside, and I just laid in the sun and absorbed the vitamin D. It felt a lot better afterward. I laid in the sun again. After that, because I was like, you know what, that was so good that I'm going to do it twice. And honestly, if you're getting that way, just go lay in the fucking sun because it's there. It's happy. It's in the sky and it's keeping us warm and (laughs) keeping us from losing it. Have we already lost it? I moved my podcast to a different streaming server host uh, because videos don't have that. So that's just for podcast people. And I've reached 2000 downloads in the past month. And that's really good. That's great news. Um, You guys are really showing up and showing out for me. But what I don't understand is downloads. Nobody downloads podcasts. Question mark, question mark. Why is that happening? This isn't the um, syntax, I suppose, that I suspected from an app like that. Hmm? Yeah. Regardless of how I just made that sound, I'm happy about it. Either way, it's 2,000 people, 2,000 downloads, 2,000 of you listening to me and putting your ears in the earbeds that I made for you. And I really appreciate the trust that you've set there. Other than that, I got my first booking in forever and then proceeded to get my second booking in forever, which was fantastic. So now I have two bookings to look forward to. And the world doesn't seem so bleak anymore. I'm going to be doing drag again out here in beautiful Palm Springs, making my California debut as a drag queen for you. Yeah, that's probably enough about me just talking about myself. I'm sure you guys don't actually care. Clearly, I really need it because I'm actually losing my mind. I'm not kidding. Please send help. (laughs) SOS. This week, I took a deep, deep dive into a 2007 documentary, very informatively named Accessory to Murder, Our Culture's Complicity in the Death of Ryan Skipper. It was directed by Vicky Nance. Yeah, it was about precisely that. You gotta love a documentary that's accurately titled. I liked this particular documentary because it focused far more on Ryan's impact on his community and his family and his loved ones than it did on his murder, which is something that you guys know I try to do here. So when I see that elsewhere, I jump all over it and I watched the whole documentary. It was great. Very informative. Any other resources or information I pulled from anywhere else was all Wikifuckimpedia. Thank you. Ryan Skipper was born April 28th, 1981. And he was born in Winter Haven, Florida, to his parents, Lynn and Patricia Mulder. The last name situation also confused me, but Ryan also had a stepfather, so he might have taken that last name. And also, it's really not that important, but I know that there's somebody out there who is also confused by that. Ryan's stepfather generalized the entire county uh, as a very closed-minded, backwoods, rural area, and the rest of Ryan's family echoed that 
sentiment when they were interviewed. So my grasp of Polk County, Florida as a whole is very backwoods, very like close-knit community, but close-knit in the way of if you're not exactly like them, then you just can't be a part of the community. That sort of a thing. Not good. And Ryan, being someone who's different from that close-knit community standard, loved Winter Haven. He loved the area. He had set down his roots there, gone to school there, made friends. He That was what he knew. That was his community. And he wasn't very keen to leave. And Ryan's friends and family say that while he was in high school, he went through shit with a capital S. He was harassed daily. He was screamed at, called names. The other kids in high school were not nice to him by any means, and he wasn't even really out of the closet in high school. It was more rumors circulating because he was an effeminate person. Ryan didn't like to tell his friends or family, though, that he was bothered by it or even acknowledged it was happening. That seems to sort of be the case pretty often. It's like there's this stigma of if you acknowledge the fact that you are being bullied, it'll make it worse somehow. I mean, not always. I can see where that fear comes from, though, for sure. His friends didn't like to keep quiet about it, though, when they saw it. And one friend recalled the story in high school when um, some bullies were very Florida-esque bullying Ryan by throwing oranges at his car. Never heard of that before, but then again, I'm from the East Coast. And the friend was not having any of it, so she got out and started throwing the oranges right back. But when she ran out of oranges, she changed to rocks and sticks. And that definitely satiated the bullies for a little bit because they knew that Ryan had some muscle behind him now. (laughs) He had friends that were willing to stand up for him. And that's why it's so important for uh, you allies when you stand up for us. It means a lot, it does, because a lot of the time we don't want to do that for ourselves. That same friend said that privately... After all that shit would happen with Ryan, that he would break down with her and just tell her that he didn't understand why so many people were mean to him, that he'd never done anything to anybody and it didn't make sense, that everybody hated him. And I understand that feeling, but there's no reason, so it's a frustrating feeling. Obviously, Ryan was very reluctant to come out of the closet, probably because he was being harassed daily already and wasn't even out. Most of his relatives that were interviewed in the documentary sort of indicated that they knew he was gay before he came out because of his effeminate features, I guess, his traits. And normally I'd say that's not cool, but Ryan knew he was gay. He was just scared to come out for other reasons. So, like, they were really just saying it to express that they accepted him for who he was, even before he knew who he was, which is always something that's really important to have when it comes to your family. And Ryan's mother, Patricia, had a lifelong gay friend who once asked her what she would do if her son was gay. And that's because he knew that Ryan was going to come out eventually. And Patricia said in front of Ryan that she would just love him more. Love him through it because it had nothing to do with the way that she felt about her son. It just has to do with her son's preference. She said, quote, it would be like if he told me he liked blue. And that definitely gave more confidence to Ryan about his family. And when he turned 18, he came out to his mom. They discussed what it meant to be gay, essentially, in Polk County for a while in the documentary. And they asked that question to one of Ryan's friends. And she said, quote, they know who they are. We know they're gay. You either deal with it or ignore them. Nine times out of 10, people usually ignore it. And you could tell that she realized that she had kind of just proven the entire point of the documentary with that false sense of security that everybody has, allies and LGBT people alike, that they know we're gay, we know they know, and we're just kind of all ignoring it in this happy little bubble. But no, that's not the case. And that nine times out of ten comment 
was interesting because she was referring to actually that one time out of 10 where it's not ignored and where a person is hurt or in this case murdered because they're gay. In 1998, when Matthew Shepard was murdered and that hit national headlines, Ryan already knew that he was gay and that instilled a sort of phobia in him where he was terrified of being the victim of a hate crime. He would constantly look over his shoulders. He was he was a very cautious person and had this phobia, this fear and terror of being murdered because he was gay while he was just walking around town. And he knew that he didn't live in the safest area. And it was similar in a way to Laramie. So he was very scared after that and had communicated that to a lot of people that his worst fear was being the victim of a hate crime. No one in his family was thrilled that he wanted to stay in Winterhaven and that he was pretty intent on staying in Winterhaven. And they all actually tried to get him to move somewhere like Tampa or Orlando where things were changing. And there was just more resources for LGBT people and more clubs, more gay people in general. 18 was arguably the most eventful year in Ryan's life and even the most genuine that he'd ever been in his life and the happiest he'd ever been. And he told people exactly that. When his parents and brother had moved away from Winterhaven, like I said, Ryan was comfortable, he was happy, and he wanted to stay. So he found two friends that he had, and they moved in to a house together. So he had roommates, and he stayed. He was with his friends Kelly and Joyce in what everybody in the documentary described as a very rough area. He was at the time attending a Votech school for computer science and computer technology because he wanted to do something with IT or be a computer guy. He was just interested in the computer sciences and was doing a very good job and making his way towards certificates and degrees. Ryan's roommate Joyce was also LGBT. She identifies as a lesbian woman and had had experiences of being harassed around the neighborhood where they lived and recounted a time when she was being followed and screamed at and pursued. Somebody was yelling homophobic slurs at her and following her home. So she stopped her car and got a baseball bat out of the back and that person didn't ever follow her again. And she put them in their place. But Ryan wasn't nearly that kind of a confrontational person and lived in the same area and had those same experiences. But when he was harassed, he didn't have that baseball bat or that will to get out of the car and threaten somebody like Joyce did. So he was definitely just more terrified by the things that were going on around him. Yet at the same time, felt very protective of Joyce and Kelly. Joyce told a story about Ryan coming home once from hanging out uh, with friends at their house and said that Ryan came home hysterical and told her that while he was there, some guy had come over that didn't like him because he was gay and started slapping him around and then beating the shit out of him. And essentially he was jumped while he was hanging out with friends. So he ran home very flustered and he didn't really handle these things well. Not that anybody can really handle getting jumped well, but it definitely wasn't, he wasn't built to be handling the confrontation that set itself upon him every day. There were probably a dozen or more incidents like that of Ryan being harassed around town Kids stole a hat from him once that his brother had given him. Uh, so he was very upset about that because it was his brother's hat. He was verbally harassed at a gas station once, screamed at until he had to run away. He was once kicked out of a store for passing out flyers for the sunglasses hut, which was his job. He was allowed to be doing so. But he was kicked out of the store because he's an effeminate person. And when that person that kicked him out came into his store later, Ryan was on the phone with friends like, why the hell can he come into my store? But I get kicked out of his. 
And while he's talking to his friends in a private conversation, the man comes over and tells him, quote, shut the fuck up, faggot. I, my temper wouldn't allow me to not go to jail that day. But Ryan was a very calm and collected person, so he didn't confront in these situations, didn't feel a need to get confrontational, but it did get to him the same way that it would get to me or to anybody else. His reactions were just always a lot different, and he honestly handled this better than anybody that I've ever read having to deal with shit like this. Ryan was just put through the ringer by the general rabble of Polk County. They seemed to be a very ignorant people, the ones obviously who were not in the documentary, or friends with those people in the documentary. You guys are the real MVPs. Everybody else, trash. And the whole area just reeked of what would be Trumpers today. And uh, Ryan even told a story about when he had a job, he was called a fag at work, so he filed a grievance with his bosses and was fired. He was fired because he was filing the grievance of being a problematic employee or whatever. It's obviously that kind of an area. Sometime in early March of 2007, shit goes down at Ryan's house and his roommate Kelly gets her tires slashed and then roommate Joyce gets her windows shot out within one week of each incident. While Joyce's windows are getting shot out, Ryan's at lunch or dinner with his friend Carl Van Hammen, and like I said, he's very protective over his roommates. Those are like his little sisters, basically, and when he hears that, he makes a mad dash from dinner to try to get to his roommate, um, who's on the phone with him, frantic. Her car's just been shot by bullets, and they're living in a neighborhood that has stray bullets flying around. It's stressful. And while he was at dinner once again with Carl who he had dinner with pretty often. He told Carl that he was the happiest that he'd ever been in his whole life and that things were looking up for him. He was happy with the Votech school that he was going to, with the direction that his degrees and certificates were going in, happy with his roommates. He was happy, and he was expressing that to people because of how happy he was. He'd also just bought a new car and was planning inaugural trips to South Florida with friends to celebrate the new car, take the new car down there, and just celebrate his happiness. And they had a great dinner that night, had drinks, wonderful time, and before he went home, Ryan had to go drop a key off at the store he worked at with Carl. So 10 minutes after 11 p.m., Carl calls Ryan to make sure that he got to the store okay and dropped the key off and that there'd be no problems in the morning and said that Ryan sort of rushed him off the phone and seemed to be in a completely different mood than he just was and was like, yeah, yeah, everything's fine and hung up. And that was the last correspondence that anybody ever had with Ryan Skipper. And when Ryan arrives back at home, his roommate Kelly sees him stick his leftovers from dinner in the fridge and then run straight up to his room. Again, not super weird, but also not like Ryan at all. He's more of the social type to check on his roommates that he cares about like sisters. So Kelly was a little put off, but it could have been anything. Things get really fuzzy here because the only eyewitnesses left happen to be the murderers. William David Brown Jr. and Joseph Bearden, who are 20 and 21 at the time, apparently are friends with Ryan. Ryan knows William because he's his landlord's nephew. They went to the same high school. They'd been in each other's life for a number of years. They weren't the closest, but they were known to hang out every now and again. Nobody really knows why they hung out, because they were nothing like each other, had no common interests. But they hung out every now and again, and were known to do so. Both of those boys, excuse me, men, have a list of previous charges. William has charges for stalking, aggravated stalking, and possession of narcotics, while Joseph has previous charges of grand theft auto, battery, burglary, possession of alcohol, and a violation of probation. They're truly the cream of that luscious Florida crop. 
So at some point when Ryan comes across William and Joseph, they end up in Ryan's car, presumably against Ryan's will. Like I said, things are fuzzy. It's kind of hard to understand what happened here. Police, however, claim they rode together willingly, went to Ryan's house where they used marijuana, those were the exact words, not mine, and copied checks using Ryan's computer. The reason I can't trust that report, and I know it's complete bullshit, is because Ryan didn't even have a computer, didn't have a laptop, they weren't copying checks or cleaning checks as it's called with Ryan's computer, because Ryan's computer doesn't exist. It's in police reports, but everybody in his family, all of his friends, the people who actually lived with him, are like, no, he didn't have a computer. He went to school and worked on computers and learned computer technology, but he didn't have one of his own. And I think the computer technology Votech situation was the cops trying to be like, oh, he was doing checks and they had this whole organization going of cleaning checks. Like, no, it was a hate crime. And they do everything in their power to make us not think that. Namely, lying like that. Anyway, the men turn on Ryan very quickly and begin savagely beating his face. Specifically his face, bludgeoning it, trying to get him disoriented. And then they rob him of everything he has on him. And this is all while they're still in the car, Ryan's driving. And then both men start stabbing him. By the time they're done stabbing him, they've stabbed over 20 times. And William Brown slit Ryan's throat, killing him. The men had all of Ryan's belongings, so they drove him to a very secluded area outside Winterhaven and dropped him by the side of the road. With no effort of even hiding him, they dropped him at the side of the road like it was just garbage in their car. They decided after that that they were going to drive back to their little community of trash that they lived in and go brag and tell everybody that they robbed a faggot and killed him. Before that terrible night and hours of horror are over, the men dump the car at Lake Pansy thinking that nobody will ever find it and they'll never get caught for everything that they just did. In no time by the next month, both men were found, arrested, and put behind bars because you just can't get away with shit like that. Their story is very stereotypical and it's easy to see that they're gearing up to try and use the gay panic defense. They claim that Ryan was making sexual advances towards both of them, so they murdered him by stabbing him over 20 times, brutalizing him, and taking all of his things because they panicked, and that's what panicking people do. The case is entirely shrouded in homophobia, and in a press release, the sheriff, Grady Judd, proved himself to be the worst person I've ever had to read about. Quoted saying, What we do know is that Ryan was out looking to pick up someone that evening, and unfortunately for Ryan, he picked up the wrong person. Going on to say, Skipper picked up the wrong guy at the wrong time and died as a result of bad judgment. Grady Judd, literally just said that Ryan Skipper died because of his own bad judgment. That's like saying somebody who was murdered by a serial killer shouldn't have been living in the same area as a serial killer. Well, maybe you should have just moved into the woods where nobody's around. Then nobody would have killed you. It's typical victim blaming, and it's disgusting. And Greedy Judd, circa 2007 Polk County Sheriff, should be criminally charged for that bullshit. Two months after Ryan is murdered, after Ryan is murdered, Polk County was named an all-American county. Whoever does those awards, dishes them out, or gives them to counties needs to be fired because that is the worst timing and the most disgusting thing that I've ever seen a county collectively do as a whole. Two months after a murder, you name it an all-American county. Disgusting. The sheriff of that said county, Grady Judd of Polk County circa 2007, 
who is actual human fucking garbage and unadulterated all-American bigotry should not be the sheriff of the town that you're going to name an all-American county. Disgusting. Fortunately, however, on March 29, 2007, William and Joseph were indicted by a grand jury on charges of first-degree murder, second-degree murder, and robbery. Robbery with a deadly weapon. I don't know why they thought they'd get away with it because they bragged about it. They told people immediately after they murdered somebody that they had just murdered somebody. So I'm not sure what they thought they'd get away with in that case. Anyway, Bearden was sentenced to life in prison on a charge of second-degree murder with four additional counts carrying five and 15-year sentences, respectively. And William Brown was sentenced to life in prison for first-degree murder with no chance of parole. And a month after that, a public information officer for Sheriff Grady Judd circa 2007 in Polk County, Florida, issued a statement saying, There is no indication that Ryan Skipper was involved in any illegal activity to try to backtrack further saying that he was murdered because he was cruising. And there was no formal official apology from that piece of shit. And unfortunately, it's not over yet. On April 16th of 2015, the Florida Supreme Court said, fuck the district court's ruling and granted Bearden a new trial based on incorrect evidentiary rulings regarding a potential third-party conviction, which I have no idea what that means, uh, and I'm not going to pretend that I do know what that means. Uh, But it's not over yet. He's still getting overturned things, and it's ridiculous that this is even being considered. He's a murderer. He murdered somebody. Leave him where he is and let him die there. When he's dead, burn the body. It's done. I hope considering how high profile this case was when it first hit the court that whatever judge is presiding over that has the same opinions as I do. If anything good could have possibly come of all that tragedy, it would be that Ryan opened mines in Polk County that may have not been opened before. People who knew Ryan and may have not had the best feelings towards gay people other than Ryan, their token gay friend, now understand just how dangerous it is to be gay in in a rural area like that, and how quickly hate can take a life. His murder also inspired both of his parents to go out and begin their own journey of activism, and a year to the day after Ryan was murdered, they spoke at a pride, which I thought was very amazing and strong of them to do, and hopefully they're still doing that today. I think it's a very powerful message that they can spread around. On that note, as in every week we have here, it's time for a transformation. And that's the finished look for this week. I'm wearing a skirt as a top. You guys can't really tell. Uh, it looks good. I feel like I'm about to go like pick my kid up from school and be like, listen, you know, that's what I look like. And I have a little necklace on. It's cute. I did my lips in all lip liner because I don't know where my lip liner is. Uh, or, you know, no, you probably don't. And neither do I. And my eyelashes are also missing. So I used smaller ones. And oh, that was this week's episode. The episode was good. I'm a mess. I'm a mess. You guys aren't. You guys are beautiful. This wig is beautiful. I am a mess. <laughs> In case you were wondering, I need to make new lashes before those gigs I mentioned happen. I'm very excited about those. If you're in the Coachella Valley area, you can come out and see me at those gigs. Check on my social medias for what they are. I'm not going to just share all of that information here for like the 90% of you that can't come, even if you wanted to. Uh, Okay, that's enough rambling for one week. Uh, I'll see y'all next week. (laughs) Bye.